there's such a concentration of artists, there's such a concentration of creative people who are working their butts off that, like, you know, everybody's sprinting, but you might sprint by somebody who's like, hey, take deeper breaths, and you're like, yeah, okay. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, where we bring you the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. As always, I'm your host, Daniel Tuttle, and with me is my always good friend, Mr. Michael Lutheran. Hello, everyone. Hello, LA. Hello, the world. The world. You know, we actually have been downloaded in Japan, Saudi Arabia, and England. Hollywood hustle is global, folks. We've gone international, <laughs> folks, and it is fantastic. That is amazing. At, on social media, on Twitter, uh, I've been talking with quite a few of our fans. There's, you know, one of our fans in Germany, and I think I was actually tweeting someone out in Japan uh, last uh, last week when Kurt Mega's interview uh, dropped, and it's just been phenomenal. The the positivity that people have been giving us mm-hmm. about this content. Well, you know, and I I have to honestly, I mean, give credit to our guests also. I mean, Kurt Mega, uh, Jessica Hanna, Joel Ward so far, uh, Daniel and Michael on the Team Hustle episodes. They were really cool they guys. Were, I mean, they were pretty awesome. Uh, you know, Scoops and Bear. But, uh, you know, it's been awesome just to, I, I still enjoy listening to these episodes and like rehearing the stuff that they talk about. Like hearing Joel's again was a lot of fun. Just talking about magic. And we even got a tweet, I believe, about someone who loves magic. And it was so interesting to hear that other side. Yeah, definitely. You know? uh, even some of my closer friends who even know Joel, they were just, you know, texting me, just saying how excited they were about getting to hear this side of Joel. Because they've seen him perform in magic, but they never knew his process right. about it. So it's just been that last week's episodes were just so much fun hearing about the behind the scenes magic yeah. in a way what have you been up to uh recently mike oh well uh just still digging into acting class uh just had a breakthrough moment actually uh last night as of this recording um one of the things that you can sometimes hear about with when it comes to acting is that it's all about embracing the fear stepping into it and right now with what we're specifically doing with meisner is we're now creating backstory we're now creating and working on specific behavior and my scene partner and i we've been rehearsing a lot outside of class and she made this interesting comment about how uh, she was wanting to work on this one backstory but it was very close to home and she was scared of addressing that and so that idea stuck with me and so last night when i walked into the scene i used something that i was just genuinely scared about and the reaction that that caused with me and with my partner and everything like next thing we knew it was just a really great dramatic moment but it was also the most free that i felt that's awesome very cool and after the scene it was a moment of just like that was scary (laughs) and that's what it should be right it's going on stage and and you should be opening yourself up and if you're closing yourself off you're holding on to things and not letting who you are be a part of the the character and part of the scene then i think you lose some of it because now it's not truthful exactly and with this stage of the process you know we're still just working from ourselves right so a lot of our backstories can be can be inspired by uh real things Mm -hmm. um but of course you have to apply the imaginary circumstance right and apply the sense of urgency yeah and just all of that culminated last night and it was a really great moment of just 
it's working. Yeah, very cool, man. <laughs> you just trust in the process, and you just keep working at it, and you keep rehearsing and practice, practice, practice. Right. Uh, what Jessica Hanna said, just living that life of practice does really come out with results. Absolutely. Um, I mean, for me, it's basically been this show <laughs> has yeah. become my life in a lot of ways. Um, that and work. I, I, I think the biggest thing for me is still reaching out and trying to find more guests uh, and, and, and try to keep climbing up on our guests and trying to get people, not again, still keeping the people that are, are struggling, but maybe people who have made somewhere where we can get even more insight. Uh, right, you know what I mean? exactly. And also, I mean, I, one of the facets that I'm also interested in are artists who came out here with a certain expectation of, I'm going to solely be an actor mm -hmm. who have now maybe switched sides. They're working in production. Maybe yeah. they're cinematographers or something in that yeah. field. Well, we kind of got that with Jessica Hanna a little bit. You know, she came out here for acting and now runs a theater. <laughs> absolutely. And she and she's still a director. She's still operating in no, the absolutely. world of theater. But, but, but she came out here to act. Exactly. That's, you know, that's what I'm saying. But And again, she works behind the scenes now more as a director. It's always this great realization of coming out here and allowing you yourself to be surprised. And I think that's how you discover what your true passion is. Right. Uh, you can't just stick to this one thing and not try and be interested in anything else. That's not how life works. Right. And speaking of surprise, I'm sure the winner of our contest was quite surprised when we announced it last week. Yes. So last Thursday, we announced the winner to our first ever listener contest on the podcast. And the winner was... Uh, the iTunes uh, sub, uh, subscriber name was Sedacious Apostate. Hey, congratulations, Sedacious Apostate. Is that a family name? Not not sure, but we're interested to find Sedacious out. Sedacious Apostate Jr.? <laughs> the third? The third. The third. Uh, yeah, make sure you email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your real name, uh, your, email, your, e uh, your address, so we can get you your stuff. Uh, they and, definitely yeah. sound like they're local because in their review they mm -hmm. they, they comment, mention living they mention right. living in the San Fernando Valley. So uh, if you're in LA, you know that's awesome. No, absolutely, that's fantastic. And, and so you definitely understand a lot that we're talking about and know some of the locations that we're mentioning yeah. on the show. And sure. in the review, they also did mention that they're they are really interested in conversations with writers and mm -hmm. producers. So writers and producers, hit us up at HollywoodHustlePodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah, Sedacious Apostate has some questions. <laughs> he has questions, and he needs them answered. Uh, speaking of screen names, uh, see, I'm on a transition roll tonight. You're doing great. <laughs> um, yeah, hey, I know this podcast that needs a host. I'm, I'll I'm, give them I'm your busy. name. I'm sorry. I'm oh, busy. okay. I can't, fine. I can't do it. <laughs> I got a lot of work at my work and, and writing and I have a kid. It's, it's too much. You can do one. <laughs> <laughs> I can get rid of one. I think I'll get rid of the kid. Um, no. no, I, you know, one of the things that's been interesting for me with this podcast, and we talked about this earlier today, is I'm not a big social media guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I've never been one to put my whole life on the internet. You know, Daniel is eating a sandwich. Like, it's not, that's not something I, I but when I eat a sandwich, it's... It is photo worthy. It's, it is photo worthy. But, you know, this, doing this and the Kickstarter before and everything has really caused me to have to be, like, more aware of this, that, that social media is continuous. Mm -hmm. It never stops. Like, I found out things like, you know, I, fun fact... Tweet uh, a tweet's the lifespan of a tweet is seven seconds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's, it's gone. gone. <laughs> um, but you know, you find out weird things like there's times that are the best to set, you know best times to schedule, and 
you have to be consistent. And, and so it's been so interesting to see the engagement that's brought getting more and more into uh, uh, the social media uh, realm and being more active on it on a continuous, almost hourly, if not bi-hourly basis. Well, for me, I know it's it's when we have listeners tweeting back to us that for me, that's the inspirational moment because I can oftentimes be someone, I just love reading about what people are up to. Oftentimes with my personal social media, I'll just read what people are going through and I'll, I have my reaction to that thought, but I don't necessarily type it, right? I just want to keep on going to the next and the next and the next. But with our listeners reaching out to us, and you know getting a chance to speak from the podcast perspective it's been inspiring me to be more present and just building those connections and reaching out into the internet well, and 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 ha- and have an engagement with them well one thing you kind of brought up uh, when we were talking about more engagement on social media a while back um, is you kind of mentioned about how you know responding to people and commenting, you know, on people's posts, you know, congratulating them or if they have a fun post, stuff like that. But also one thing we've been careful about that you kind of brought up, Michael, is making sure that it's not a weird one word generic post, like make it personable to that person. And, you know, since you said that, I've noticed comments on like mine, uh, my own personal Instagram and like our Instagram where I'm like, I see, you know, it could, you notice it more. Like yeah, that, there's the, the like just 100. Yeah, like that's great. Dot fire, 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 fire. <laughs> and it's like, no, I want to go on there. And like the other day, some someone on I think our Instagram posted that they got they got a gig in like a big feature film. And so I made sure I went on and commented, you know, hey, congratulations on that. You know, the 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 gig. That's awesome. Like keep up the hustle. Uh, you know, that's that's fantastic news. Like yeah. I made sure it was a sentence of of congratulations and and very personal to what she's talking about. And she started following us Well, after that. We I were think, already following her, but she followed us. I think it's so easy to fall into looking at social media as just a form of entertainment, mm-hmm. right? That it's just a TV show or something that you can just watch and look at and consume and then move on to the next. But they're people. Right. And they're putting in the time to not only check out our stuff, but I think it's important that everyone just look at fellow users or subscribers or anything like that reach out you know don't by saying that's great that's that is a wonderful and valid comment and we appreciate that i'm not trying to lower that by or you know demean that by any means but it's also a moment where at this point with technology and everything where we can build a connection with just a few comments but don't forget to build connections outside of social media <laughs> that's that's important yeah. like if somebody says hello to you on a bus I mean, unless they're, like, leering at you weirdly, like, say hi to them back. Like, it's not, like, that shouldn't be weird. And I feel like that's the downside of social media is it's taken away, like, the live personal, you know, interpersonal relationships and interactions. Yeah, I, on my street that I I live on, uh, there's this gentleman that I've come across a few times where I, we we don't know each other. I think he lives in the apartment building next to me, but one day he just came up to me was like hey how's it going and we just started talking and rather than coming from a place of who is this guy why is he bothering me i just took it as a moment of this is a great moment to just build a connection check it check out where this guy's coming from and, and that we ended was martin scorsese <laughs> if only no but he he was this really cool guy and we ended up 
talking about Star Wars for about 45 minutes. I had just gone out of my apartment to throw out the trash <laughs> and talking about Star Wars for 45 minutes. Yeah, it was definitely a conversation that I was very happy to have. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing is social media can be very cool because you can reach out to people who you normally wouldn't be able to talk to, people overseas, uh, you know, people across the country. Uh, but just don't forget that there's people here that are live and living and stuff like that. You know, but, but those that are engaging with us on social media that have retweeted our stuff, liked our stuff, followed Hollywood Hustle uh, podcast on Instagram or LA Hustle Cast on Twitter – Thank you. Like, that's fantastic. And we want more of that. Like, I love a good conversation. Like, I love a good... About anything. I love a good conversation about film or Star Wars or whatever. I want to hear what you guys think about things. If you hear something on the podcast that you go, well, I don't agree with that. Tell me why. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. If you, if you have an experience that maybe counters uh, a thought that was, you know, spoken on the podcast, let us know. Mm-hmm. Because as we have found living in Los Angeles, being an artist, there is not one correct path, right? And it, there's not one specific method to do that. So we are so open. Uh, so if you have a question that you'd like to address or a comment or anything, please let us know and we'll be able to talk about it here on yeah, the podcast. Absolutely. And 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 just be just be available. Like just be ready to have a conversation with people and and get to know new people because again, you really don't know who anybody is without talking to them. And we might talk about Star Wars for 45 minutes. <laughs> Speaking of talking about Star Wars, we have a wonderful guest on this episode who loves things like Star Wars oh, she... and, and superheroes and 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 Star Wars is a great story and our guest today is an incredible storyteller. Yes, like, she is. She really can tell a story that just engages you and gives you details and you just you feel like you're in the moment that she's talking about. And I think that's just fantastic. Exactly. Like starting with a small Casio keyboard, um, you know, Kim Tillman, our guest for this episode, has been playing music for most of her life. And she started out in San Diego. And in this uh, conversation today, we follow Kim's journey all the way from San Diego to her settling down in Los Angeles. She's played several stages around California. uh, And while Kim is currently working on her second album, her first album, The Ark, is available on iTunes and Spotify for you to check out after you listen to the podcast. So right now, please enjoy the stories and the sounds of the real Kim Tillman. Take it away, Daniel. Thank you, guys. I am here with a fantastic musician. She has an album on Spotify called The Ark. She has played all over L.A. to hundreds and hundreds of people. Maybe. (laughs) She recently uh, finished an Indiegogo campaign to fund her next album, which we I I can't wait for because I really, really enjoy her music. Ladies and gentlemen, the real Kim Tillman. I might not actually officially be the real one, but I am oh. one. I am a Kim hey, Tillman. Hey, Kim Tillman. Yes. We got at least one of us in the room, yeah. 
Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. All right. <laughs> I was like, wait, do I ask you the a energetic, question now? Is that, oh, yeah. You... Actually, did you know you're interviewing me? <laughs> I have so many questions. That's what the I Hollywood hustle is. Uh... <laughs> right? Everybody comes in and goes, what are you guys doing? Well, let us tell you. <laughs> so you're from San Diego. I am. Correct? Um, let's start off just kind of from the beginning when you were a wee little baby child. Mm-hmm. When did you first hear music? When, what is your first memory of music? When I was in preschool, I had a dream. And my first dream that I ever remember, I think my, my first like conscious memory of being like a person on this planet was my dream was that the Bengals played Walk Like an Egyptian at my preschool. <laughs> and I woke up like, whoa, I don't understand what just happened to me, but I, this is my new life now. Is da 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 You know, and I've had stuff stuck in my head forever since. That's fantastic. <laughs> that That's one of I love, whenever that song comes on, you cannot like, not kind of bob your head and like even say like walk like an Egyptian. You know I can't do it. I feel like someone cares about what that means. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think you can sing that to a room full of Egyptians and be like, "This is probably fine." This is- you know. And given oh, that, yes. I feel like Read I can't do it anywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, any room. I just can't show up and go. Oh, this is a song that if these guys were here, I wouldn't play. But they're not, so let's do it. Like I just, I try to be smart about the song. I like how you I... put your hand up, like Wait, like no, someone people... else is in this room that you're trying to keep from saying. This it. is a room full of. Egyptians you know, this is going on a podcast. It's going live to the world. Well, they can't see me. But I'm still being like I'm trying to be cool. She's so still it. trying to be couth about it. Sure, you know. <laughs> so uh, what, what was the first instrument you uh, you kind of picked up and started playing, other we than had... spoons in a bucket, probably? <laughs> it was it was well, my first instrument was not drumsticks and a chair, but my I definitely played so much of it that that was like a problem in my house anyway. But I we had a Casio keyboard when I was like five or six in our house, and I was always planking something out like. I didn't have any sort of like formal training, so it was just sort of melodies and messing around with them. And I think I started playing keys when I was like six-ish, and I wrote my first song around then. And my mom was like, oh, well, I was wanting to be a poet. Let's do it. And she'd be like, I wrote this song, and she wrote the lyrics for it. And I went, huh, I feel like I'm learning a lot about you. Interesting. You and I are different, like a different, different kinds of songwriters. Um, but I would say for real, like what, what got me into it, into it is... Uh, my great uncle is a was a guitar player, and he had an acoustic guitar in his house. So I had never played one before, and my whole family was over at his place, and they, you know, they they were really cool about just letting us explore the house or whatever. And there was a, a den, and in the den was a big old acoustic guitar, big steel string guitar. It was like my size at the time, and I started playing it, and it I feel like. I just got hypnotized. Like I went, I walked into this room by myself. I saw this instrument. I was like, "Huh, I would like to play with that." And then I lost all sense of time. And the next thing I know, it was like I was in a dark room by myself, and everybody else was still having a party in the rest of the house. I had no idea. Like I just went somewhere. Just kind else. of got lost For in the sure. moment. It was I was just like catapulted into space, and no one knew it. And I came back all different, and everyone was like, <laughs> "Very." Oh, there you, you are. went from a Kim Tillman to the. God willing. <laughs> I feel like I try to do that every day. Oh, that, hey, every day be the best you can be. I'm trying. I think it's a good way to end the show. Thank you so much for Wait, listening. Was, thank you for having me. Thanks for, thanks thanks for bring coming them, in. You get about three minutes of discussion, <laughs> then you give them real life advice and kick them back out of the world and see three, if it works. We're going to be one of those. We're going to be the only podcast with a three minute interview, and the rest is just the host bantering for 20 minutes. We've got more guests around the world. <laughs> we, we're ready to record 18 episodes 
right now. It's like a it's like a psychic reading. I sit down and tell you just like a little bit, and then you're like, "Here's what we've already figured out about you, and here's what you need to do." Here's next. what you need to do better. Right? Uh, be you better. Be shit, <laughs> man. So how did you? When did you kind of go? I want to keep doing this, and kind of when when did it come? Did it be? Was it like a hobby at first, or when did it become like part of you? I've always been incredibly moved in some way or another by music um but i remember i remember being in like middle school and i was always in choir and just any opportunity to sing my face off i was doing it and i remember having i remember a friend of mine one of the seventh graders was like you know you're really good at singing and i i guess i like i felt that i felt like this is something i'm good at i'm obviously like enjoying myself but it was the first time i ever felt like the, the first time I'd ever, like, occurred to me, like, this is something that affects other people and, and gives them an impression about who I am based on something that I'm doing anyway. You know, I'm going to be singing. But, you know, when people around you go, whoa, whoa, you're like a singer. And you go, oh, I didn't know that there were levels to this, but apparently the people around me seem to think that, like, I'm on one of them. Well, it gets to, I think it's funny how it gets to a point. I think it's the same thing with, like, most when you become friends with somebody and especially if you've known them for a long time but you've never seen like their talent sure and you know how that like you're like oh i play guitar and i sing and i, I do i perform and they're like oh that's great cool and Good you're for friends you. with them fun. for like a year maybe sure. and then finally they come to your show or you're like i do improv where i'm an actor and they come finally like after a year they come to see you perform and something and afterwards like whoa you're you're actually really good at this. I saw you on stage and you were <laughs> acting and I believe... No, yes, that's what I'm doing with all my time. You know when I told you I was an actor and right. I, I did this thing? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, I meant it. Right, and I think, I think if you're any kind of artist, it takes a long time of doing your art before someone goes, oh, there's a difference and you're an artist versus... I do that, you do that, everybody's got, uh, you know, energy to burn. Right. Well, I think even with, like, I think guitar, it's even more probably just because so many people... It's the most popular instrument on the planet. ...learn guitar to a certain degree. Sure. So you either know, like, the G, D, E, F sharp chords. You've got those two Green Day songs. Yeah, you know the, yeah, you know the two Green Day songs. Or, you, you know, you, or you're the person that can, like, Eddie Van Halen it and go crazy with it, you I know? mean, there's so many people who are talented and so many people who are professionals that are beyond the first handful of things that you learn and not Eddie Van Halen. And honestly, I feel like this is a podcast about people who are in the middle who are not Eddie Van Halen mm-hmm. and who are not on the in their first legs, but, but somewhere in the middle where it's like, I see that I'm doing this and it's having an impact and I feel at least encouraged enough to do more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really sort of figuring out how you make that work in a, in a long, long game way. Right. Absolutely. Well, what, um, how did you get better? Like, what did you, what steps did you take to get better at your craft, guitar and singing? I, I mean, part of it is that I do it as a response to like big feelings. Mm -hmm. So I I think I told you this, I might've told you this. I recently dropped my desktop on the floor of my room. Oh no, you didn't tell me that. No. So I was, uh. I've been trying to figure out how to get my MIDI controller to work with my mixer, to work with my computer, to work with just all the pieces. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I had all the, the chords to make it work. And I talked to a friend of mine who knows it a little, knows their way around a little better than I do. And was like, I'm not sure you've got what you need to do it, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. And so I like gave up on trying to make everything talk and mm-hmm. agree for like a year. And one night I realized that I had 
at some point acquired the cord that I needed to make everything discuss- like talk. And I plugged it in. Turns out the whole thing works. I leaned back in my desk chair thinking I just solved the, the biggest problem I've ever had. <laughs> and my chair got caught on the cord and pulled my, my desktop to the floor. Uh, so I dented, I like put a dent in the floor of my room and smashed in the, the front of my desktop. And so everything that I had worked on in terms of like the songs I'd already done, just it's in there somewhere. We'll yeah, get it back. Just got to get it out somehow. <laughs> but that night, immediately after, I just went... I don't have a computer. I had one a minute ago. I was using it, and now it's gone. And I turned to my guitar, and I was like, it's you and me again, and immediately wrote a song. Right. It was easy, because I already felt it. Desktop bomb. I just made a mistake. <laughs> made a real mistake. It writes itself. It happens. Where it is, and that's part of how you get better. And the other part is when you get all this encouragement, and people tell you, like, you're pretty good at this. And you're like, I'm pretty good at this. And then you get on stage and you're like, oh my God, I am not as good at this as I thought before I got up here that didn't go well, man. And, you know, I think at least to some degree I'm lucky because I'm the kind of person that goes, damn, that didn't work. And I feel like it's like I got to go back to the lab and figure out what, what part of that that, that uh, didn't work. Um, but yeah, if I have a show that doesn't go well, I go home and like, Unless it's terrible, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go home and be like, man, I know exactly how I would have liked to do that differently. And here's where I start because I don't want my last show to be terrible. Right. Whatever my last show is, you know. Right. So it's just practice and just seeing, noticing kind of like where the fixings are needed and then kind of like aiming of those spots when you get be- to get better at Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I, and I would also say like for a while I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to be to become very good at things that were not – naturally uh, stuff that I was good at, things that were not um, within my skill set. And I was really like, critical about like, well, man, you're not even learning. You're not even learning the drums. How can you be good at this if you can't also play the drums? And, and I was taking away from the time that I had available my, to myself to like practice the stuff I do love and get a lot out of because I was busy going, yeah, but I don't even know how to do these other things. And right. sort of accepting that like there's some stuff that I'm pretty good at and, and I can... I can sharpen that skill set, and the better I get at those things, I'm gonna get better at everything else. Right. So I try not to give myself a lot of a lot of grief about not being great at everything, because it's so hard to recognize the things that you are great at if you're not like cultivating them. Did you take any kind of like uh, uh, like private lessons or anything when you were a kid, or was it just all kind of self-taught? So I feel like it's it's a lot of things. Like I like I loved being in the choir, so I was in the choir. And when like I stand out and really want to learn those things, and mm-hmm. like I had my choir teacher in first through middle school was Mrs. Karini, and Mrs. Karini seemed to notice that that I took to a lot of the stuff, and so she was encouraging. And she's like, you know, if you want, we can spend some time talking about the piano. And it wasn't something at the time that I wanted to like to do all the time, and and so I didn't. But like. There've been a lot of situations where I, you know, people see what I do know and are like, "Whoa! If you can already do that, let me show you this thing that you could be doing next." And so it's like it's information I get from a lot of different people. But when I graduated from college, I also took, um, I took music theory and classical guitar at Laney College in, in Oakland, um, and and brushed up on stuff that I felt like, "Oh no, music theory is so complicated. I'm not going to understand it." And I got in that class and was like, "Oh, I already have all these." I already understand what's happening here and they're just showing me the math. Right. And, and you know, that sort of thing is really cool because it's like, I assumed I didn't know any of it mm-hmm. and sat down and started playing the guitar and my guitar teacher was like, oh, I see. 
you already have you've already started this you know mm-hmm. so, so i can give you those pieces so if, if i'm kind of just hearing like to if you had to put it like in one thing it sounds like kind of what you're saying is like take the opportunity to learn sure like wherever that may be don't be like oh well it's hard so i'm out like take you may it may be easier than you think it is like give it a shot i would say that and i would also say like if you're doing stuff you love people get it mm-hmm. people see like Ooh, that that resonates with me because I feel that way about this instrument too. And so, if you're where I am, or you're feeling what I'm feeling about this, like I'll show you a couple of things because right. you're, you're actually going to be able to appreciate it. Right. No, absolutely. And I think you hear a lot. I mean, th- I think the impression that you get when you're in LA is like nobody's going to try and help you or whatever. But like, there's so many people who can look at you in town and and go, "You're where I was," and it seems like you're going where I'm where I'm headed, where I've headed. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people in the same spot that you're in. <laughs> And, and, but I also mean, like, the people who are beyond those places mm-hmm. tend to be really, like, giving about the information that they have. Like, right. not everybody has time, but they'll, I feel like I get great advice all the time from people who, if, if they don't see and are doing what I'm doing, mm-hmm. they at least understand how, how it can be applied. Right. And, you know, there's such a concentration of artists, there's such a concentration of creative people who are working their butts off that, like, mm-hmm. you know everybody's sprinting but you might sprint by somebody who's like hey take deeper breaths and you're like yeah okay right you know? right so so you're from the san diego area i am um what's the feeling the air wise and music down in san diego or wh- how was it back then and is has it changed also since then i haven't i haven't lived in san diego since i was a, a teenager but when i was living there um, specifically, the the all ages music scene was like electric. When I was in it was when I was in high school. There's a lot of all ages um, venues. I'm not sure that I, the impression I get is that there's not nearly as many now. But like, we, my friends and I used to drive out to shows all the time. We would go and people would scream their faces off. You just it was electric is the best way that I could describe it. And the first time. I saw a show and got caught up in that electricity. I was like, I want to do this to people. <laughs> I I saw this band Spare Change play at, at, at the Che Cafe at the on the UCLA campus, and and it's it's like a cool spot. It's one of my favorite places to see shows in, in San Diego. And um, they they sang this song that I'd seen them play at the scene, and I'd seen them play at several different uh, venues around town. And they always had the same handful of, like the fans who would go there and lose their shit and it was so fun Mm -hmm. like there was a guy i don't even i don't know the band personally i don't know their fans personally right but i know that if spare change is playing danny's gonna be there (laughs) and they're gonna bring danny on stage and danny's gonna scream on his back and and he'll he's gonna be in it you know they they would bring their fans into it and everybody needs a danny i would love to have a danny in my life who's like (laughs) what song are you gonna do yeah, yeah, Danny. <laughs> like every goodness. song is the best that's, song, and that's and that's how it felt because you're around the people who feel that way about it, mm-hmm. and it. When you see people who are so receptive and so warm about other people's art, and you're like, man, I got that same, I got that same electricity in me. I could do that same mm-hmm. shit. I, y'all want to scream? Let's do it. <laughs> and and so I I saw them play at the Che, and and the Che is basically it, it it feels like you're in somebody's garage, right. like in the back of somebody's parents' house, right? And uh, there are at least at the time there were exposed rafters, and and you know it, everybody got so whipped so whipped up into a frenzy that we had kids hanging upside down and like screaming, <laughs> and and to see that as like a sixteen year old, I had brought my friends from youth group right. who were like I've never been to a show. And I was like, what is music? Come hang out with us. And like one of my youth group friends at the end of the show was like, well, 
during the show because everybody's pushing each other and dancing too Danny's hard and mosh or whatever, screaming. right? So somebody somebody knocks me off balance and I'm almost to the floor and some like. I want to say like a lightning bolt and a red t-shirt catches me, throws me back up so I'm back on my feet and disappears again. And it turns out it's my friend from youth group. Barry Allen. (laughs) So fast. It was in a, what's that word? I don't know. It'll come to me later. (laughs) He was swift. So swift. He was like, he was like a blur. He was I wanted to call him the quick. The quick. (laughs) I wanted to call him the guy that runs quickly. But it was... (laughs) But at the end of the show, my youth group friend, and we were all like 16 or whatever, rolls down the window and sees like people walking out, and they're still like glowing and amped from it. And he's like, "Fuck yeah!" And we're like, "No, you can do that here. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, all right. It's okay. Let it's it out. Right. That's Feel what it. we're doing. Feel exactly. It. Feel exactly. It. And being being in a position to create that sort of opportunity for people to 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 say, "Yo, I don't know what your week has been like, but I know what my week has been like." And if you're at all on the same level I am, let's just get it out of our systems. Let's have a good time. It's Friday or Tuesday or whatever. It doesn't matter. But, like, we all made it here together, and we can have a really good time together. And I'm willing to try and facilitate that. And if you're willing to, like, buy into it, this could be really cool. So what 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 pushed the move from San Diego to San Francisco? I uh, applied to school in the Bay. Um, my the, the majority of my family lives in Southern California, and my uncle is a— uh, SFFD, so he's up in the Bay, and we're, I mean, I wouldn't call myself like a super social person, but all the people that are in my family that are like real people persons um, know how to enjoy themselves and, and really like know how to forge their own way in the world, and so my uncle, who like is a world traveler and, and you know, has done a ton of his own living, was like, you would love the Bay, you would love San Francisco. And I applied to San Francisco State, and I applied to Dominican University of California. And um, Dominican had a poet's corner. I don't know what that means. Oh, nice. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right. But I heard that, and it was like, that's me. That's for me. <laughs> so I – and it turns out it's like a little grove on campus. A little, right. like little grove on campus where they have, like, outdoor seating. And, and I like the idea of potentially, like, taking a class outside in the grove where we talk about – I don't know Mark Twain or whatever. <laughs> so it was kind of just nice thing that there's an opportunity to hear other porns of art and possibly perform yourself. Well, I wasn't even there yet. I was mostly like, all right, all right I'm a I'm a sheltered person who doesn't want to go to one of these enormous San Diego State type schools right. where I'm going to get eaten alive by just the sheer number of people here. Mm-hmm. I would much rather go somewhere small, and I would rather go somewhere small that isn't in town, so I have to figure out how it is to be a person on my own. Adulting. Right? I was bad at it. I, I just got pretty, <laughs> No one's really good I at it. I just got better at it, which only shows me how much I had to learn when <laughs> I was like 18 and was right. like, all right, here I am. What do you mean you have to buy toilet paper in college? Oh, here no. I am. I'm going to run the world. Right, right, right. <laughs> And then I spent my first week of college eating uh, peanut butter and drinking Sprite because I didn't know the the dining hall hours, and I was like too like nervous to ask anybody. <laughs> so I was just in my room, and finally my roommate and her friends were like, "We're going to lunch. Would you like to join <laughs> us?" And I was like, "I don't know what it is." And you're and in the like, corner what? with a thing of peanut butter, like hmm? it was. <laughs> I was I was like a, a sad little raccoon. It's okay. Come on, come on, come on, Tim. Honestly, come on, Tim. anybody on. who knew me at the time, that's pretty accurate. It's like, come on out. Don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared. <laughs> Don't, 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 don't look at her. her. Don't look she's, at her. She's gonna, oh, look she's away. gonna run. Out. She's gonna run. Oh, just leave oh, a, put a peanut butter down. Wait, put a, put a little uh, line of Reese's pieces. And it's like, oh, oh, she's taking her hand. She likes you. 
<laughs> it's like that. I mean, I literally, I got to college and I didn't talk to anyone for like two weeks. I was I'm uh, like an introvert and was overwhelmed. Right. And um, actually what, what made me friends, the first friend I made in college in a real way was that, like I said, I lived with two other people and I didn't talk. I wasn't talking to them. Right. They would come in and I would do, I'd be doing whatever it is that I was doing. Right. And it was weird. And they were very weirded out by it, which I've learned later because they're nice people. But like, <laughs> I had a dashboard confessional record and I had a Tristan Prettyman record. And every night at the end of the night, when I was trying to go to sleep and forget that I was far from home and freaked out, mm-hmm. I would play one or the other or both. Mm-hmm. And after like two weeks of not saying anything and playing this cool stuff, my roommate was like, what are we listening to? Right. And that was our first conversation. Music makes friends. That's the thing. So tell me about San Francisco and kind of what, how that brought out the music in you. I would say the best way to explain it is that I'm, I've started myself as like a shy person. Mm-hmm. And w- one of the last things I did before I left for college, I went like, I went to a family party and my uncle, he plays reggae, he sings, his name is Willie D. And uh, I believe that they're Willie B and Shaka Buku. And uh, Willie gave me this guitar and was like, you're going to need this kid, basically. And I got to college and was like an incredibly shy person who was nervous all the time about like, man, there's a real expectation to be social when you're alone in the world. And, um, you know, I kept that guitar in front of me like a little shield and go to parties and be like, I don't want to talk to any of these people, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. But this allows me to sort of sit in a corner and have a have a uh, have a role here. It's kind of like a safety blanket. Totally. At the same time of having like, this is my part. Right. I know party. exactly what I'm doing. To play a sweater song and good riddance and just sure. get these, these crazy kids a good time. But the thing is, you do it enough times, you go to enough parties where you're the person who sits in the corner and plays that stuff that whether or not you realize it, people know who you are. Right. And I learned in the course of being in college and hiding in a corner or playing guitar during parties that like people knew who I was. And I didn't, that wasn't what the goal was. Like, right. I like to sing. I felt like it's always been really important to me, and especially in the space that's like really intense, the way that going to college, going away to college is. Like, it was really nice to get all that stuff out and give myself a reason to to think about what I was working on in a different way. And so, when I went to college, I I joined the like open mic event that they had on campus. Yeah, I think it was the the year ahead of us had set it up, um, and. It was just like a performance thing. Every week, people would show up with their poems. We had, we had a, a woman who would come in and read excerpts from her book. We had people performing, like, like performance art pieces. We had um, people singing opera. It was just one of those things that people could come and sit around on a Thursday and have like let that stuff out and see what every everybody else is working on. And, oh, that's awesome. And it, I've always really liked performing, but I. I've never wanted to act because I the idea of like memorizing everything seems really intense. Right. I, I've always liked the idea of like if I could be in your show where I can sing all the really hard stuff, but not have to talk at all. Right. If that's a role, I'll take it. But otherwise, blah. Um, and then behind the scenes stuff. And eventually, as the the years went on, when I was in school, the the club that or perceptions, which is the open mic on campus, was handed over to me. And because I was there all the time and I, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't realize at the time that I was like a staple, mm-hmm. but had become one to the point where they were like, Hey, will you take this? And right. it's like, sure. It's just a matter of showing up with my guitar and 
doing what we normally do, which is if nobody else plays, I'll play something. And there wasn't too much else to it, as far as I was concerned. It just was like a nice chance to get everybody together. But Did you, as, was there a way of getting people there? Did you have to work on like publicizing it? Was that something you had to do, or was it a kind of a known thing already where you didn't really have to do any publicity for it? It's a it's a real small school, so I I want to say there are maybe eight, there were eight hundred undergrads when I started there, maybe seven or eight undergrads and seven or eight hundred graduate students. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether whether or not you mean to, you know who everyone is, mm-hmm. and all of our performers get to know each other in this space, and or or you know you see somebody outside playing guitar in front of the dining hall, and they go, oh, dude, you do that. And the next day you see that same guy playing guitar and someone standing next to him with a trumpet. And you go, oh, okay. These are the kids I want to get to know. And, and that, those kids became Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> so you took over this 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 open mic. And so you got a chance, to, I think, to, I guess, to express yourself more. In a really, in like a really tight-knit, like, small group of people. So it was easy because it was like, well, I know everybody here. Right. Like, there's only a few hundred people who live on campus. We're here, a lot of us were there the whole time, or not on campus, but the whole time, but, you know. Um, and just made, it just made it really easy to start doing it in public spaces, or, or at least the idea that the jump wasn't horrible, because right. it's a small school in a small town, and if I say, hey, 18 people that I know, I'm going to be playing at the Chinese food restaurant, like, they'll go. Right, no, And I'm the sure. first time I played, they did. I, there was tables full of like friends of mine yelling like take off your top and i'm like no this is a restaurant mm, i know but that okay. you're excited <laughs> i know that you're excited and that's very exciting for me cuz this is terrifying but right you know that's it was, fantastic it, it was it was it was a good environment to do it in and like i forget how much of of my life from one end to the other has been being involved in the arts until i take a step back and go oh i've been doing some version of this thing or this thing or this thing this whole time. Well, I mean, I think that's the fantastic thing about the arts is mm-hmm. that absolutely it doesn't have to have a set space. Sure. So, you know, when I was a kid, I used to dress up like Superman and Clark Kent, and I would run into my kitchen and tell my mom, "Wow, I'm telling this." No, to please. People. Um, I would run in and be like, "Excuse me, ma'am, do you need any help?" And my mom, obviously in a higher pitched voice than right now, but uh, my mom. Wait, would, tell me what she says, and I'll do it. Uh huh. Tell me what she says. And oh, she would say, uh, she would always go, um, why, yes, uh, I, I, need to ha- I need help getting this dishwasher loaded. Okay, go ahead. All right, all right. Excuse me, ma'am. Do you need any help? Why, yes. I need help getting this dishwasher loaded. Oh, well, I'm no good at that. But I think, <laughs> but if you could give me a moment, I think I can find something that I can help you out. But uh, who? So I, <laughs> who would that be? Um, so I would run off. Take off my button-up shirt, my black pants that my mom hated. I was getting messy. I bet messy. it took so much longer oh, than did. you thought. I'm it tripping did. and falling oh, over that's... myself, and I'd come into just wait, my. Just don't do anything. Just wait. <laughs> okay, I'd come into Superman. Uh, my my grandmother made me a Superman cape. That's wonderful. And I would fly in and help, super heroically help fill the. Uh, that's um, great. But, but you know, you never think like you think that's just me being a kid, like being sure. a, ridiculous. And then you think like, no, that's me performing. I think we're all just being ourselves, and when you end up all the ways that you end up having to like the people decide or feel like they get forced into doing things that they're not their thing like of course it's harder to look at all the stuff that you've done and go oh i've been doing the same thing the whole time because you're you know you start identifying with the thing that you are doing versus all the stuff that you've always done well i think it's it's finding that who are you naturally sure are you someone who when someone gets hurt you naturally know how to bandage them up you know how to make them feel better well maybe you're supposed to be a doctor because you're not like if that's just an instinct you don't have to be 
But if that's an instinct that's strong within you, then maybe that's what you are to do. If you naturally are someone that that just, as, as if you want to bury it, like loves attention and loves <laughs> making someone laugh or making someone cry or sure. making someone have some sort of emotion or you find it funny yourself, like you don't even have to do it for anybody else. Maybe that's what, you know, I think it's it's people being able to get in touch with that without outside forces. No, 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 no. You're going to be a banker. That's what right. you're supposed to be. And it's like, that's not, but I'm Here's horrible with money. Here's what success looks for and it looks like, and it's not you falling on your face so that people will chuckle. No, but there's some people who make this look really good. Mm-hmm. Like, Oof. right. Not Meryl Streep, though. I was thinking Jackie Chan, but I haven't oh, seen yeah, Meryl oh, Streep do the Jackie, same well, stuff. I mean, Meryl Streep phones it in, so <laughs> she's overrated. She did one prep fall and she's out for the night. She's like, that's it. <laughs> she's like, you, get, you get one. You get one and that'll you cost you shoot three it or you million don't. dollars. Right. The insurance on letting her fall to the ground oh would God. be horrifying. Can you imagine how much that would be? No, I would prefer not to. <laughs> so, um, what? How many times would you say a day did you play guitar? I, I don't know. It comes and goes. It's one of those things where some. It's it's like a craving. Sometimes I want to play all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't want to play at all. And mm-hmm. and like I've, I feel like recently when the season changed, it would fall. I was like, oh, I got to play guitar. And as soon as it got like cold out, I was like, all I want to do is play piano. I just want to sit down in a rope and be like, blah, you know, until right. the sun comes up again. Right. And, you know, I think it just. Well, maybe not guitar, but instruments in general. Are you constantly playing an instrument, do you think? I'm, a, I'm at a place now where I am. I played nearly every day or unless I'm working. And like if I'm not around to play it or I just don't have the opportunity. But I try to make a point that like at the. When I'm being really disciplined, I will play my full set every day. Mm. And when I am not being very disciplined, I'll probably just tool around or play with some new song or whatever. And, right. And but you're constantly working that. it, though. Like, I am. It's constantly working it. It's some sort of um, function, whether it be a piano, guitar. Sure. It just sort of listening hard to other people's work as well. I think what's funny about this sort of thing is that there's so many different pieces when you talk about the arts the every every single thing that you can study within the arts is a hole that just goes on forever oh, you can just get yeah. deeper and deeper and deeper into it and like i'm are you are you guys mma fans do you like you yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah okay so i i started watching ufc around the same time that i moved to la and went oh it's hard here like i was watching these guys talk like wake talking about i woke up in the gym and i would mop the floor and then we would work out for four hours i would teach a class go get food come back teach another class mop who told you my life story (laughs) mopping is like a big part of it um but you know i was sleeping in this i was living in a house in this room that was built inside the garage so is this in san francisco this is in this is here in la okay and you know i'd wake up and be like this is tough but this room is a little rocket ship and i'm gonna do what you're doing and I see that some days you just do jujitsu and some days you just do Muay Thai and some days you're just wrestling. And I don't have to do the same thing every day thinking that it's going to get me exactly where I'm going any faster. Right. But you're still working that muscle, though. Sure. You're still continuously working it. So speaking of L.A., you moved from San Francisco to L.A. I did. And from uh, talking to you before, I know you mentioned that it was your friends yeah. kind of pushed you that. So um what what how did they push you what was their 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 motivation their push to you what was their 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 spiel and their pitch to you to move to LA so like I said the school we went to was very small Mm -hmm. and in that in that small school there's a much 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 smaller literature department Mm -hmm. the 
the year that we graduated, there were 11 of us in our class that were the literature department graduates. And so we've been reading, it was a group of a very small handful of us that have been reading each other's stuff for years, consistently watching, seeing who's good at what Mm -hmm. and getting a clear understanding of like, oh, they can help me with these things where I need a little bit more, whatever. Like, and I remember we had, we were talking, we had a class, it wasn't called Monsters, but the abbreviation was Monsters. Mm -hmm. And it was about um, like horror books. And one of the things that they talk about when you're reading, Sorry, literature teachers. I don't remember any of it, but I want to say it's like Mary Shelley and, and that group of like horror writers that were working together at the same time. And right. my lit friends were like, we could do the same thing. We're already doing it. Like if we stuck together, we have a much better chance of going, oh, you like what I'm doing? Go go talk to that guy. Right. And so that that's an idea that we had all been sort of, that had been sort of spinning around the group of us for years by the time we'd graduated. And and so they were like, all right, after I think a few years, they were like, after a couple of years, they were like, all right, it's time we're moving to L.A. and we want you to come with us. And I was like, I, I went to this small school because I am a shy person. And the idea of going to an enormous city mm-hmm. where I'm for sure going to be eaten alive mm-hmm. sounds like horrible. What right. The- well, that, that goes to my next question. Sure. Was it scary or was it an easy transition for you? Well, I turned them down initially. Okay. I, I they all moved down here without me, and I was like, "Good luck, enjoy your lives. I'll see you around, I guess." And um, and now uh, they're all incubus. Well, one, well, one of the guys. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I really should have jumped on that bus. I really should have got in on that. Should get on that bandwagon. Damn, next time I'll be incubus. So, so that you turned them down. They moved I out did. here. How long before you were like, maybe I should? Move I, well, down. I think they were here for a couple of years, and one of the one of the main group from who moved down here had a birthday. My buddy Chris was uh, is a bassist, and I went to his his senior thesis performance where he played the Super Mario Brothers theme from start to begin only on his bass. Nice. Like uh, harmonics and all the coin sounds and full, okay. no, like full, that was his thesis. That's awesome. That was part of his thesis, you know, wow. so he, he absolutely meant it. And um, Chris had a birthday, and they were like, well, you got to come down for the party. So they come down for Chris's birthday party, and my roommate... basically just drove me around LA for four hours and was like I'll answer whatever question you have how do you feel about this this is where all the stuff is this is this neighborhood this is this neighborhood this is this neighborhood Uh, what do you need to know what do you want to know and after four hours driving around town and sort of thinking about it and you know listening to the ways that it does seem really appealing to be surrounded by really driven people who have an understanding of what it takes to do this stuff Um, by the time we got back to the house I was like I already live here. It's just a matter of, like you know, connecting the dots to get my stuff down here now. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. So it was kind of just like we're doing it. Well, and they and they, they already I think had a pretty clear sense that I had the right sort of temperament to do it, or at right. least like had the motivation to try. Right, you just need that little push. Well, I needed to be assured that I wasn't going to get here and drown. Right, really, <laughs> like that was. And that you're, like, was you're still here, so maybe I, I am. It, you know, I think it took it took. I was saying recently, like it takes. The first three years of living here is just like terror, right? And you don't even. And then after three years, you go, "Oh, I'm still here." Well, I mean, and and when you get here, it's it's exciting and everything looks fun. I mean, maybe that was my experience. Was when I got here, it was like, "Wow, it's a whole new world." So much is happening. There's access to so much. Like people who are who are nerdy about any sort of media can come here and have their mind blown, right? Quickly. Mm-hmm over and over again for months sometimes 
And then you look down and you're like, oh, I don't have any money. <laughs> I don't have any money. I need to eat something. Yeah. And, and I need a plan two months ago. <laughs> I need a plan to do stuff. Sure. Uh, um, so real quick, just a real quick San Diego versus San Francisco versus L.A. Like what, what, what would you say was like the top like three? Separately. Yeah. Yeah. Like how would you come? Like what, what's the biggest differences? I would say San Diego feels easy. It's mm-hmm. just a nice place to be. And it's right. easy to not do that much. Or at least it was for me. Like I felt like if I was not motivated and I didn't feel like doing too much hard work, I could probably have a pretty chill life in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what housing is like there now, but, you know, b- broadly, like, right. it, it could be nice. Right. Uh, I moved to the Bay, and I started to meet these people who were doing things that I hadn't imagined. Like, oh, you wrote a play, and you performed it at this art center? You're you're going on tour? You have people making, like, stickers for you? You have buttons? Like, oh, wow, like, people are really, like, doing it. Like, and everybody's so warm. I would say the Bay is a lot like at least my experience of the Marin and Oakland is that people were pretty warm and that warmth that like having found this like strong arts community in the in the bay especially who were willing to share their knowledge it was like oh this is why you do art you do art so that you can share this stuff and and that's what everybody here is doing like it's a place where not everybody has every, like everything that they need, but if they've got enough to share, then they tend to. And right. that was something I took away from it. And then L.A., you see how much is possible. Like, I went from this is easy to this is doable to here's what happens when you get your pieces together. If you can get it together, this is the scope that we can that we can work on. Right. And, Interesting. You know, learning that doing things on that scope takes a lot more time than doing things on a much, much, much smaller scope. Right, absolutely. Okay, wow. That's awesome. Um, okay, so let's get to si- singing and songwriting. Sure. Um, what inspired you to start writing your own songs? Was it just natural for you? Did you start, some people I know started as poetry, or was it just kind of like, you know what, I have things to say, I'm going to put it down on paper, and if there's a melody behind it, that's great. I, I can't remember not totally being obsessed with music. Like, and, and I feel silly using that word because, you know, it's, obsession seems, like, intense, but, like, I moved to L.A., you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I've always, it's always been not hypnotic, but enormous in terms of how it makes me feel. So um, it's, it's only a matter of time where you go from singing other people's feelings to singing your own. And, like, ha- mostly having taught myself to play a lot of these instruments up until recently, um meant that I had to learn by coming up with something to do with them. Right. So what was, what's been your biggest inspiration in your song, in your songwriting? I guess how I feel, my feelings. Just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, because there's so many names, and I'm such a huge fan of a lot of different kinds of music, but, like, the reason I do it, the reason I feel I have to do it, is there's so much going on in me, right. and I feel like I take in a lot of information around me, right. and I'm... And I'm someone who likes to parse things out and figure out how I feel about them and try and understand them and look at them at different angles and stuff. And by the time I'm done, I'm like, I have a pretty solid sense of what this is. Right. So it's and almost trying to put something understanding t- to something and putting it out on paper? Or is it you going, this is my feeling at this moment and I'm going to put it in some sort of melodic poetry? I would say it starts with, 
Ugh, I'm feeling away, and I'm gonna pick up the guitar, and I'm gonna make noise, because you, I don't, I don't have to be quiet for you people. <laughs> and then you start, that's not the chord, that's how I feel, but this one is, you know. <laughs> and then you start, and for me, I get the picture in my mind that is like, what does this sound like? Ah, it sounds like being on a, a boat in the middle of a storm. And then you're like, all right, I'm on a boat in the middle of a storm, and I don't like you anymore. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> and then, you know, when you take a step back and you do it over time, that. you kind of go, all right, my verse was just me being really mad at everyone, but I need to resolve that verse, like in terms of the art form itself, like your verse is your problem. I've been working on this like formula for songs, but right. your verse is your problem. Your pre-chorus is your, so what are we gonna do? What are we gonna, what are we gonna do? And then your, you know, the answer is, we're gonna fight. And that's your, <laughs> that's your chorus. Why did I not, why did I know that's where I was going? <laughs> because, you know, how it feels. I was really, you know exactly I was almost how, hoping you'd be like, you'd kind of twist it a little sleep. bit like, we're gonna eat a sandwich. sandwich. Like, oh, that sounds like, that sounds like a really good idea. But the thing is, if somebody yelled that to you, if you were like, what are we gonna do? Sandwich. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, no, it's so Whatever great. it is, it's exciting. Yeah. Because we got there, you know. Right, right. Um, <laughs> we got to that point. So when I write stuff, I go from, I was feeling all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I had to get beyond it. Right. And it's like, so here's our so here is my idea so far for what we're supposed to do about this. And then you go, okay, so but what's the song about? Let's rephrase that problem. What's a different way of looking at it? What's a different scale of that same problem? That's your next verse. And then you do the same thing, and you go, but this, but the answer is the same. The answer is we're gonna fight. Right. (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, I feel like you went somewhere. No, no, yeah, no. I'm, I'm, I'm. Honestly, I'm like, how can we make that a song? Like, I'm like, let's, let's make that into. You'll have it by the end of the know? week. Yeah. Some songs write themselves, oh, which no, is absolutely. the funnest part. I mean, no, you brought me into your song. Like, I'm like, this is not even a song, but it is a song. Well, you know what I mean? That's true of all of them. And like, as soon as you record it, and people have heard it, and they get it stuck in their head, it's already happened. Whether or not it's a song, they're singing it too. Have you ever uh, sang a song? Uh, improvisationally like while you're doing something and you're like I really wish I would have written that down because that was actually really good. all the time that's why that's why they say always press record like you hear all these like adages about how to do the work and you always like, have a notebook with you, you know, somewhere you all think you're better than me because you know what you know what you want to do it or you know how you want to do this and but you know the first 17 times you forget to press record you go damn it <laughs> I see now and I was kind of kind of smug about it originally but but i get it <laughs> i should probably if i can if i feel my work has value i should probably get it on tape that uh you know. that's how i felt about a classic i sang a long time ago called raccoon showdown it was quite... i feel like i've heard that did oh, you ever record it no i did not no, it's, I bet it's... somebody still because it was in an apartment complex someone could have easily heard it through no, a wall i feel like it was it about a raccoon showdown in an apartment complex? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Then I heard it was, it was a, a wild song. west of raccoons um, having a showdown, and the raccoon was getting ready for a showdown, and he he wasn't sure if he could make it through. It was it's quite dramatic. It was it was it was when my wife fell in love with me. Was when I sang that song. I think. Really? Is that true? <laughs> that's I think that's probably one of the I I, I love making her laugh. It's one of my favorite yeah, things. I think sure. that's the hardest I've ever made her laugh. Yeah. Was seeing that dumb dumb song and it was but we always joke about it even today we joke about it all the time um that means it worked right whatever the message was she's she still, got it she's still here yeah uh so what were your first songs about being mad about how everything sucks being an angry little like like preteen going what's what's going on everybody you didn't tell me it sucks here 
<laughs> Why did no one tell me this sucks? Right, you guys are all pretending this doesn't suck, but it doesn't suck, but it really looks like it does. <laughs> really, and I'm and really I'm frustrated by it, but you guys seem like it's fine. You guys, you guys said this roller coaster route is a lot of fun, but I see people coming off and they're crying. Right, I'm not really sure I want to get on. The, I, do I have to get on though? Because I'm already in line. Okay, wait, 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 wait. All right, here we go. Life seems really hard. What am I doing here? <laughs> Wait, you guys all knew life was ah. That's the first song is you. Nobody told me, you know. And now I feel all this stuff, and I don't know what to do. I I think my first songs were about I feel all this stuff, and I don't know what to do. So it was teenage, sure, emotional, just what? How do I get rid of this feeling? Sure, everybody sucks. And you either got to no jump in, you. right? You either got to get on board and be terrible too, or they'll eat you alive. You know, my mom doesn't understand. She's never been a teenager ever. <laughs> my songs just, are all you're just over mad because you started as a mom. <laughs> you were never a kid. I would be so offended if someone said that to me. I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially if you didn't have a kid, you're like, I'm, I'm not a mom. Oh, <laughs> like, that's even worse. So um, let's talk about live performing. Sure. Uh, I'm sure you've done that a few times. You talked about uh, perception, a few right? Times. That was perception the mic, is right? the open mic. So, uh, what was your first gig? I honestly can't remember if it's one or the other, but I played in 2007 in San Rafael, in Marin. So my first show was either at a Chinese food restaurant called Yetwa on San Rafael, it's on the main street there, and all of my friends from college were there. Or it was a show I did playing guitar next to the demo station at the Trader Joe's, which I don't think you can call a show. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure anybody was entertained, and they were trying <laughs> to get to their their free samples. Did you find parking? Probably not. Trader Joe's. Well, I was. Well, I. This I is going to be a terrible episode <laughs> of me just. We're going to cut them all together and have a super cut of all these songs. I'm literally just auditioning to you. Like, please. I understand. L- let me in your band. That's really I, what I'm trying to get at. I do the same this thing. This is a fake people. podcast. It was just all <laughs> None set of this up is to happening. get in your band. These aren't even real computers. Gonna, to watch. I'm going to throw this on the ground. This microphone is made of styrofoam. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's real. It has my scripts. Yeah, please. <laughs> That's, that's my robot script. That's my entire career. That's my entire career, right? Oh, that's why LA is tough. So, uh, how do you, as a performer, get in? Like, find when you find a venue, like I want to play here. What's the process of getting into that venue? Of, oh man, it's it's different everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sometimes it's I know the guy who does sound there. Sometimes it's my friend runs the place. Sometimes it's it's a nice backyard. You'll be welcome. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, and I think that depending on the level that you're at there are a lot of different ways to do it but you know mostly just you just put patch together a a query email and send it everywhere i think what i'm learning now is that that to some degree it takes a shotgun approach you do need to approach people who don't know who you are because i'm always hoping like i'm if i'm so good at this people will come find me and sure to a degree that that's that's true but if i already like those people it seems silly to like Sit in my hands and hope that they hear me singing as loud as I can, so that they that so that they do. So it sounds like you almost it's very similar to being an actor, being someone, and any other kind of entertainment where it's connections, it's getting your getting yourself, putting yourself out there, sure, um, playing anywhere that you can for a while. Yeah, I mean, at some point it 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 hits you that you can't play everywhere well, that comes yeah, up, but yeah. I think that that's. That's also a level of musicianship well, to go, well, I can say no sometimes. Yeah. Well, as an actor and even as a writer, there's a point you go, yeah, I'll do these things for free. Sure. And then you get to a point where you're like, you know, I will not anymore. I don't, I don't you know, I'm, I at least deserve 100 or $200 for this. 
And then it's like, you know what? I kind of deserve four, five hundred, six hundred dollars for this. And then sometimes you're like, I'm pretty sure I could ask for three thousand on this. Yeah, and, and, then, and then you get to the point where it's one like, thing to another. this right here is special. I'll do this for free because Absolutely. I get to choose Absolutely. to do it for free. Sure. And I think that's I you know I'm I'm a big proponent. I know Michael is as well. Like you shouldn't give away your talent for free, but I think there is that. I, I've always felt like I'm okay doing that if it's for a friend. If someone calls me and says, hey, I, I just need somebody to play this part in a movie. Sure. And we'll work with your schedule. And that, that's my, I think that's always been my biggest thing. If I have to rework my schedule, that's where the issue is. And I'm not trying to, sure. be, I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just, no. Uh, if, you know, it's, if you're asking me for free, then you've got to work with me. Especially since you're doing your profession for free. Like, yeah. Like if I wanted someone to prepare my taxes for free, like that's a, that's a big ask. And yeah. you can't do it all the time. Um, and then you can't go. Hey, are you done with my taxes? Are you are you done with my taxes? Have you finished those taxes? I'm, I'm hey, gonna, where's that? Where's hey, that stuff? Where's that ten forty, man? Where's that? Uh, where's that? Where's that? Where's that? Where's that refund? Where's Where's my money though? Where's my money though? Where's my money though? You you said something a minute ago, and I don't remember what it was, and I felt like affected by it, and I had a response to it, and I don't remember now. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It was that I'm. I'll I'll it'll come back. We've but, got some time. Yeah, but th- I mean, I think that's that's the biggest thing is from what I'm hearing you is very similar to a lot of different. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. That, that's kind of my main point is huh? that it's very similar to other, um, oh, other arts. Oh, that's what I was going to yeah. tell you. I saw that you did a. Can I? I don't know what the order is, so I don't want to spoil your thing. But that you did your you did an interview with uh, the folks from the Bootleg Theater. So I know Jessica Hanna because I'm not that far from the Bootleg, and I went there and fell in love with the place. Oh wow! Like just the place itself. I said this is one of these places in LA that feels. Good. Right, and you need those places, and you need the people who are willing to create that the, that space. Well, I even say on the episode when you walk in, it's almost like this weird, like theatrical cathedral because sure. you automatically just look around and you're just like, oh my gosh! Like especially, I think surprising just because it's L.A. And, and it doesn't look like it, it doesn't it, look like an L.A. theater. It looks like a theater that would be in Dallas to me. Like, sure, where there's more, I can see that where there's more space to be a theater and be three different rooms one of them which is huge i had no idea it was that big i had only seen shows in the main room i had friends who played in the main room Mm -hmm. and i talked i was there after i was there waiting for one show to end and for my friend's band to start playing right and jessica was outside and she was like oh there's they're doing a a play Mm -hmm. i was like what do you mean they're doing a play (laughs) and she's like that's the theater and i was like whose theater she's like our theater and i was like this whole place is Mm -hmm. one place it's 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 really kind of incredible when you think about it especially the the logistics of managing that and definitely part of her whole vision with that space is bringing local artists Mm -hmm. work to the forefront for sure you know whether Mm -hmm. it's theatrical whether it's music and they're more than surprisingly welcome yeah absolutely to your point about volunteering that is a place that I go when I've got free time, right? Because I like being there. I think that what they're putting together is incredible. But it's, it's but it's also a space that encourages creating your own stuff. So I think that's part of it. Where you, it's it's almost you're putting your own time into your own thing while helping others. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I I did a light hang and focus with them for a show that they were putting on, and and that's some that not something I had done since high school. I forgot I knew how. Right. I showed up there and they said, "Give me that gobo," and I handed it to him. I was like, "I know what a gobo is. Look at that." <laughs> Muscle you know? memory. Totally. And you know, it's just just even having this opportunity to to see what these artists who see everybody like everybody comes to the bootleg right you know it, it's it's a little space but they they have a really incredible set of lineups coming and like to learn that stuff by just being there and they're like no so welcoming come back if you want to come in come in right absolutely um let's talk about being a musician in LA. sure um 
what steps have you taken since you moved here to LA to grow as a musician, as an artist, and as a uh, um, someone to get your name out there? Uh, specifically to get my name out there? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different pieces to it. Like I said, mostly I'm an introvert, so it's something I have to like really put some thought into in right. terms of how I put myself out there because I don't necessarily want to put myself out there. Right. But you can't do both. You know, you have to be a real person mm-hmm. if you want to be treated like a real person. Yeah. And that takes giving some of your real personality out, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Really, I just I play a lot of shows and try to make sure people know that I'm doing. Like, I think maybe it's a, a weird way to look at it, but I feel really lucky because a lot of times when I sing, I can see people react. Like, it, like I know what's happening. And right. I'm, I'm used to it kind of, which, you know, I don't know, it sounds obnoxious, but... I'm I'm used to walking into a space and maybe not necessarily having anybody respond to me at all and then go and then start singing and then they just take it. They just accept like that there's music happening and they go, Oh, that's happening in the room. You're doing that? Right. Oh, it's good that you're here. I'm gonna tell my friends that I met you because you're going somewhere. Right. I mean that 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 chain of events is sort of what happens all the time and and I understand to some degree when you're building a fan base, you really do have to do it one person at a time. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky enough to make, like, an impression sometimes. So, um, like, I played a show in San Rafael, and then I played there again maybe two years later or something, and this woman had called called the bar to ask a question and heard me singing and was like, I know who that is. I was there last time she was here. Oh, and, like, showed up at the bar and was like, I heard you on the phone and I came down. You know, I brought my cats. You know. <laughs> no, I'm just I just felt like that she would bring her cats. I don't know why. I came to talk to my daughter, but you were here. You know. That's fantastic. That's that's awesome. That's gotta feel good. It, it it does, but it's. I would. I was talking to somebody earlier about this quote, and I wish I could remember who it was from. But it's like a Latin American writer, and he talks about how writing is lonely because you do it in solitude, and when you're done with it, people experience it in solitude, so you don't have that mm-hmm. connection, and, and that. There are people in the world who feel like you're like a part of them. You're like a part of their family. Right. You're like a part of what shapes them. Right. But that has nothing to do with you. Like right. you don't even necessarily, you can't experience that. There's right. no way to feel that feeling about yourself on behalf of somebody else. Right. So like. I think you can still connect with them. Like you can still connect sure. with those people. My feeling is always like I'm very glad to hear that you like it. Right. That's very exciting. Cause right. You know, I would. It's a lot cooler than somebody coming up and saying I don't like it. You know, right, right, and right. It, it, that doesn't. I haven't experienced that too much, but like it's. It's nice to hear that people like it, but but day to day and all the ways that living in LA is very hard. Mm-hmm. You don't always feel it. I mean, I, I would say for the most part, you don't like it. Those, if you enjoy it, good. That's the point. If it makes your life easier or better, or makes you feel good about certain things, right? Awesome. That's exactly what it's for. Right. Um. I just hope that I can build enough of a system around me that while you're enjoying that and while that's good for you, whether or not you feel it like illegally downloaded, I don't really care. If you like it, you're probably going to come back. And eventually, while you're home learning the words, hopefully I'm here building my structures so I can come to your town and you can pay to come see me and you tell me that you liked it and I can, you know, afford to pay my band and move on to the next spot so that more people who like it can share it with more people who like it and say that was a cool experience and I was listening to those songs and trying to imagine you do it, and then you got up there and you did it exactly how I wanted. Ah, you know, right. ideally you get to do that. Right. I mean, I think, but I think also like this kind of goes a little further down, like with social media and the web. You, like I said earlier, I think you have a better chance of connecting with those people more and more frequently, especially if they're 
people that are active on there. I'm not saying it's always good or that it's always sure. it doesn't have to be like, well, how's your day and how's your. You know, it's not. It doesn't have to be like, like a friendship, but sure. I think you have an easier way of like if someone connects with you, it's easier to get that to vocalize that. You know what I mean? I think also seeing people reach out to everybody in a in a way that's really effective. Right makes you is a reminder that it can be effective right like like ideally i'm not disingenuous ideally i don't show up places and put on a show and then i'm not being myself right. or whatever um but you want to protect yourself and i think it's nice to see pe- see to watch people who are putting themselves out there get so much back right. like um i'm watching a ton of there's a show called it's a YouTube show called Fighting is Fighting. Mm-hmm. And it's by this guy, Robin Black, who is a fight commentator and has spent years, like his whole life, studying everything he can about martial arts to the point where I, I don't think he's fighting now, but he can tell you everything about what's going on. And it's not just like, this is how they're moving and this is why they're protecting themselves. This is this is what motivates people to do this. This is what it looks like on a daily basis. This is what, this is what these guys are about. This is why this guy is so different from this guy who's so dangerous and in this other way. Right. And... The show itself is just about developing as whatever it is that you're developing as. Um, and he's this very smart, seemingly super personable, warm, authentic person. And he, uh, Robin, I think, got fired recently in the last like few weeks, really, maybe. And they immediately started shooting these podcasts, these uh, YouTube videos. And now it's maybe, maybe three weeks later. And he's got something like 20 videos up and people are sending him microphones. They're being like, look, whatever support you need, you have it because we already like what you're doing. Right. We just want to make sure you can keep doing it. Right. And so the more you see other people do it, the more you see like, wow, that band's fans is, are really putting the effort into like rallying around them. It's, yeah. it's heartening, especially when so many things about this work can right. be disheartening. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it almost forms a, it's a community in its own right of, um, we support what you do. Sure. And we feel connected to whatever it is you give us. You know, so if, you know, I think it's, it's interesting how we can attach to someone we don't know personally, but especially, I think, even especially through music, since most music is very much yourself written onto paper, sure. I think people feel like they have, they do know you. Sure. You know, even though they don't know everything about you, but they feel like they do because. I, I because I think also it's that they take the, whatever you've written, however it attaches to them. I know the struggle she's talking about. I've gone through that, even though there may be differences and there may not be completely the Sometimes same. Sometimes it's you know? totally wrong, but people yeah. hear something else and are enriched right. by it. And well, it's they like, personalize wow. it. They personalize it for them. Sure. You know, what, like, oh yeah, I am mad about that dishwasher when the song's about sure. a pizza. You know? Sure. And it's and it's and and I think that's. And I think that's where it can kind of be a little awkward for artists because, like, man, this really hit me because, you know, I was going through something with my girlfriend, and, th- and even though the song's about wanting to close down a restaurant establishment. Right. And it's like, okay, but, you, but who, you know, it's not for you to be like, that's not what that song's about. You know, it's, it's definitely, you're like, well, great. I'm glad I'm so, that you enjoyed I'm it. Glad, and I think that's where that, there, there can be those connections that are weird and awkward because of that, but it's still like that person, and I think that's just a cool feeling. That person got something that you wrote. Sure. It affected them in some way, whether it's in how you intended or not, whether it was intention or not to do that. It still affected them. So I think it's so to me. It's such a. It's so psychologically interesting that there's almost this like 
I'm your friend because I know your music. Sure, sure. You know? and I people think, who, I mean, people mm-hmm. certainly walk up and go, I know you. I mean, like, I'm not sure you do. Yeah, and, and, they, and they, tr- they talk to you immediately. And I think this is where celebrity is an, can be a problem is people come to you and go, Bobby De Niro. <laughs> Bobby, you know, Bobby, no, you don't you know, need to do that. Like, <laughs> I've watched all your films. I sure. feel like I know you. Sure. But I don't. I, I, I know very little about Robert De Niro's personal life. I, I don't know who what kind of jokes he likes to make. I don't know what if he likes comic books or if he, you know what his favorite TV show is. But I know he's a dang good actor. Right, but there's something about him that just yeah. resonates. Yeah, and it and it makes you feel like I can go up to him and say hi. I um. Even though he may not like that. <laughs> I went to visit a friend of mine in Sacramento, and while I was there, we were at a at their their famous costume store. I want to say it's oh, Angeline's. Uh, uh, yes. Man, I'm trying to... Evangeline's. Evangeline's. I yes. thought maybe, but I wasn't sure. So I went to Evangeline's, and I was um, about to leave, and I looked up at the counter, and Steven Tyler was standing there. And I went, and I, you know, I made the no face. And he looked at me and went, no. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening. So I went over there and was like, hey, man, what are you doing here? And we started talking like we were friends, and I thought, like... It never occurred to me that anybody would do that. But I think it also takes a personality. Like his personality sure. is very like, yeah, I'll talk to anybody. I'm sure you know. I'm sure he already has. Yeah. I'm sure he's talked to everybody at some point in his life, just going everywhere. I feel like I would be like, just start humming a song. Like, it's so hard not to. It's so hard not to see his face and go, pick is you know, it just yeah, yeah, yeah. it happens. It just it just comes out. I was I liked what you said. It was. I wanted to go back to what you said about Comic-Con yeah. and about building your fan base, whatever that looks like. Yeah. When I lived in San Diego when I was in high school, I want to say it was a Comic-Con 2000 because uh, Angelina Jolie was there and Halle Berry was there and my my friend Janice and I were happened to be in Seaport Village anyway because um, there's good candy there. So we were down in town and um, saw people lining up to get into Comic-Con and we were like, we're not doing anything. Let's go to Comic-Con. So we jump in line kind of wander around for maybe a half an hour and we're like well what's everybody doing let's just get in this line there's nobody in this line and it was the line to meet kevin smith um and i am a, a big kevin smith fan um because i i love his talks his an, an evening with kevin smith they're all they all are like important to me and when i look at him and the way that he talks about his work i think there's something really something to the idea that like he doesn't need everybody to like his work it's not important that's not that's not possible I don't need the majority of people on this planet to like what I'm doing. That's not possible. Right. If I get 20,000 people on this planet to dig what I'm doing, that's a, that's a bigger community a than I would have otherwise. Yeah. And if all of that community has any sort of interest in keeping me doing what I'm doing, even periodically, even just like mm-hmm. occasionally, like, oh, I buy that song. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I just need maybe 20,000 people on the planet to care at any, to- at any given point. And that doesn't seem impossible. Well, it's also, I think, funny. One of the funniest things to me about Comic-Con is the nerves uh not not like the nerve but like how nervous people are sure. to meet these people right after the first season of walking dead came out okay. um and i was a, i was a fan of the comics already and so i saw that i loved the the first season it was so cinematic and it was gorgeous and so we, my my then 
um, then girlfriend, now wife. We went to Comic Con. It was our Ooh, first one that we've it. ever seen. Yep, right. Made it all the way. Oh, um, right. And so we we went, and I I wanted to get his autograph. I wanted sure. to talk to Robert Kirkman. He seemed like a from interview seemed like a really cool guy. But you're still kind of nervous because sure. it's like this guy that is incredibly talented and has a show that he is an executive producer on and and all this stuff. And so you had to you had to wait in line in in the morning to get tickets. Sure. To get in the line later. To get his autograph. Is intense. But at the same time, the same day was the Walking Dead panel. And so uh, my wife and some friends of ours that we knew were in line waiting to get into Ballroom, tw- or, uh, ballroom 20 where the Walking Dead panel was. And we were going to go in because there was other panels before it we wanted to see. So we were just going to stay there all day because they don't clear the room. Okay. And so oh. I'm waiting to get this ticket. She's That's in line. Intense. And she's like, we'll text you if we're going to start going in. So you sure. can come you meet us. To... And she she texts me at some point. She's like, I'm still waiting for them to like open up to get this ticket to meet Robert Kirkman. And she's like, you better get here. I think we're going to go in soon. And I was like, oh, crap. So I get up. I go down to the line. And of course, we don't. We're still in that line for another hour. Sure. Waiting to go in. I was like, what What gave what you? She's like, well, we moved a little bit. So I thought uh... we were going in. And I was like, I get you it. I mean, but doggies. I totally understand it because she wanted us to get in. And we had, like, I think I'd, I had gotten up at like, Three in the morning with some people to get in line to, for this, so we could get good seats and stuff. Sure. And so, cut to two days later, I'm walking around the main market area, and I see Robert Kirkman giving an interview to some blog media vlog outlet. Sure. I don't remember who exactly it was, but um, he's in there. So I'm just kind of like, I'm just gonna hang over here. Like I'm just so relaxing. Let's link over there. I'm just gonna like, I'm just do 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 tapping my foot. Hey, Mr. Wayne. How are you doing? And so, so I hear like I'm just kind of, and I'm not really looking, and I hear like, well, thank you so much, Mr. Kirkman. I really appreciate, it. love the show. Whip around, and he was like, all right. And he turns around his table, and so I'm like, I kind of slowly just kind of like, well, I'm like, Mr. Kirkman, I'm I'm so sorry to bother you. I know you're extremely busy, and I, I you're tried busy, to, and there's no way like, this isn't weird. Yeah, I was like, this is not awkward at all. Sure. Um, I tried to get a ticket to get us, you know, be in the line for the signature with you, and I wasn't able to because I wanted to go to the panel. <laughs> I, you, know, you nervously try to explain. Him Here's what, here's what, and Hold I, my I grew baby up in Dallas, and my mom never loved me. Oh. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I go through this whole thing, and he's like, and I was like, I, and I had, and I just, I had like. Let me take my shirt off so you can sign it. <laughs> and, oh. I, and I had with me like the, the comic book, the, their special edition comic book. Sure. And I had two, I got two this copies. beautiful ones. Yeah, yeah it was uh. really good. I got a copy for me, and I got a copy from a good friend of mine that I knew was into it. And then I also had something else. I was like. I, I know you, you have to get this ticket and something like that. I was like, do you have a second? Could you just sign this stuff real quick for me? I really appreciate it. If not, I completely understand. Like, I was, I tried not to be over, like, please sign it, please not, sign it. If not, I'll literally sign. disappear. And I was like, <laughs> like I literally, I literally die. Throw down um, a smoke bomb and I'll, you will never I'll, see me again. <laughs> was, I'm Batman. Um, and he was like, hey, man, Fortune Favors the Brave, brother. And he, like, grabbed Love. it and he That's signed great. it. And he was, we chatted for a good probably five minutes about the show and about comics. And, and it was just like one of those things where he was like, and afterwards, you're like, what? That dude is so cool. And you're just like, man, that's... But for me, it's like, if I ever got to that point, like, it, it's for me, it's also a lesson. Like, be that guy. Sure. Like, be that guy. But the thing is, you never have a sense of how anybody's going to feel about you anyway. So there are probably right. people who go home and think about your work all the time. Right, right, no, absolutely. And, well, like, now. Well, you know what I mean? But, right. like, there's no way to know. Right. There's no way to know. Like, like I always think, like, Kanye West has no idea how often I think about Kanye West. How often Not, do you think about that? All the time. <laughs> like, honestly, I'm like, man, I wonder how he, what he was thinking about when he, you know, you just, you look at somebody's work, you break it apart, and you're just constantly like, man, I, 
And that, I mean, that's true of a lot of different artists, but you know, right. like, you never have any sense of like how other people feel about it. Like, I'm, I'm lucky because my cousin is a big fan of one of my songs and she's like, she's, she's like someone who is very um, expressive. And so she's adamant about making sure that I understand how important it is to her. And because she's important to me and because I understand like who she is and where she comes right. from, I can like really appreciate that like I made something that means something to her. Right. And I'm, and it's like that Muppet song about how if one is, if it's that true, if that's true for one person, why not two? Right. So we try to believe that that's true of anybody. So the, hopefully, ideally, if somebody comes up and goes, uh, whoa, yeah, it's, it's you, that I'm not like, I'm not famous yet, so today's not the day. Come back when I'm but, blinging. Yeah. Yeah, when I'm, but I think, you know, for me, it was just that lesson of like, that whole, I mean, it's it's such a cliche now, sadly, but it's like, treat others as you'd want yourself to be treated. And so, to me, that's still, it's like, if, if I want if I want to be able to go up to somebody randomly outside of like the ticket time or whatever sure. and be like hey I'm such a fan could you please I mean I ran into Damien Lindelof the sure. creator one of the writers and creators of Lost when he was coming out of the bathroom waited till he got about 15 you know a few, few feet away so it wasn't awkward and I was like Mr. Lindelof I'm a huge fan of Lost like I'm such a fan of your writing in general yeah. Um, I would I would just love a you know a picture and he was so he was super nice he actually waited because a friend of mine lost a bed and had to dress up like Princess Leia in the slave bikini um, it was and it was like hipster Leia because he wore glasses and a beanie and okay. stuff like that but uh, he he lost it was a whole thing that's that's a whole other story for another time but he was like we told him about it and he was like I've got to see this and <laughs> he like awesome. hung out with us for like ten minutes while our friend was changing in the bathroom at Comic Con until I came out and took a picture with him and and it's like that's who I want to be like if I I'm not saying I'll ever be. Damien Lindelof or, or, or Kirk Kirkman. Who knows if I will or not. It'll happen over time but, and you won't realize it until someone it's runs like, up I wanna, to you. But it's like, you got to remember that. Sure. You know, you know, when I hear stories of actors, like I go around and meet every single person on that crew and I know every single one of their names. Brian Cranston's one of those people. Like he goes and learns every person's name. I believe name. it. He learns the PA's name, the caterer's name. He learned to roller skate, of course. Yeah, like he's like one of those people like that's who, that's what I would want to be. Sure. I want to be that guy that ever goes, he knows my name. You know, not that that should be important that I know your name, but it's still cool that, hey, if he, someone looks up to me and I know their name, that's important to that person. Sure. I mean, I think that, I think there's, entertainment is tough because there's so, because the rules are not obvious. Right. None of the rules are obvious in terms of how people behave and interact with one another. And it's like, like for me, I work in production and, and we're shooting things all the time. And I don't, I never know one director from the other before I get there. But you know what the you know how the the, the job is shaped, right. and so when when our director when our ads know who I am, like it feels the same way. Like oh, I know that that guy's a big deal in this space, and he knows my name. Well, I think the biggest thing is it's respect. Sure, you're, you're giving respect to every single person on an even playing field. I'm not respecting that person more than that person. I may be in contact with that person more and have more of a conversation and be more of a relationship with that person, but I don't see them as less or more than that person. You know what I mean? I, I do, and I think because the the structure aren't necessarily obvious depending on what kind of art you're making. Like you have to be able to handle things interpersonally to the right. degree that you can. Well, I think even as a musician, if you're recording an album and you have a sound engineer in there. You can't treat that sound engineer like crap. No, you it's get, a waste of money. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> There's no way but that I'm. You, you want to respect him just as much as hopefully he's respecting what you're doing and it's going to sure. make it sound as good as possible through whatever technical twitch and widgets and digits and dials. I know audio. 
Um, that <laughs> it's he mostly has to twidgets. Move. <laughs> it's twidgets and digits. Um, but you know, it, it's in that it's that same thing. You've got to respect that person, so he'll respect what you're doing. Well, because I mean, if you've got a big dream, if your big dream is to be a showrunner, that is an enormous job, mm-hmm. and it isn't just an enormous job. It is an enormous job that involves, like. A, a large number of people. You're running you're, an industry. You're, I mean, yeah. you're running a town. Yeah. You run a oh, town for best months. Best way to say, it. absolutely. You have your, you have all your different trades workers, and they all need to be able to work together, and they don't necessarily need to all know each other, but they need to all know how it can work right. and know that it can work, or at least believe that it can work. And right. It can't if you show up and say, "Don't talk to us. We're so and so." Don't look me in the eye. Well. <laughs> You Do know, you know just, who I am? <laughs> and if the answer is, well, I mean, the, no matter who it is, the answer shouldn't be no. <laughs> but really, like if you're yeah. on set and someone goes, "Do you know who I am?" Hopefully, that never happens. <laughs> but like, <laughs> oh. like the hope is that one way or another, you can figure out that person's name because it is important. I would, if if I'm, I want to say it's Sam. And and people tend to be pretty like sweet about it if they don't know. Yeah. They're like. I'm supposed to come over here and talk to you about this thing, and I want to make sure that you know that we're on the same we're on the same but, side. But those people, I don't think would go. Do you know who I am? <laughs> Do you know? Do you know who I am? Good. I've been looking for a friend all day. <laughs> Do um, you? Because I've forgotten. I want to wrap this kind of first part up a sure. little bit. Uh, where Where do you write mostly in LA? Do you have like a spot that you like to go to, or do you just kind of write wherever you are? I write at home. I write in my little safe space cave that I built for myself. You comfy cavern? Yeah. I like, you know, when I, at the end of the day, how do I feel all my feelings about all the things that I've seen? And I hang out and listen to music and play guitar and watch the news and do all those things simultaneously and go, okay, this is decompressing. I'm starting to feel less stressed out about everything that just happened. I can breathe again. Right. Well, (laughs) the the fun thing about singing is it makes you breathe. It forces you to. Right. So if you're like, I'm upset. I'm upset. You have to take that breath if you want to hit that note. And it's nice in that way because you have to breathe. I can't breathe for the first time. Yes. <laughs> I love that song. And I think a lot of people do because it lets them let all that stuff out. Let's make sure we tell our editor, cut Daniel singing continuously in this episode. Well, no, what we'll do is uh, we'll... Uh, like only that. Only it's oh, Daniel never asks questions. It's just him singing, and then and Kim just. We can auto tune the entire thing. <laughs> Tell me about how you feel. I think Kel would be down. Growing up. <laughs> so so here's what we're going to re-record this interview as an opera, where we just continually sing everything. I'll come back. Conjunction with the Sizzler. This is yes. The No man, what we'll do is I'll come back and we'll each have little instruments and we'll do it. So as everybody does, there's got to be moments of doubt. In moments of like, oh, what am I doing? This is not working, or this is not working, or you know, where you're just kind of down, and you said, you know, those those those, I quit almost sure. moments. Sure, I quit how, recently. How how do, how do you how do you get through those? Who how, what what helps you get through those? That I'm drawn to this work, like that is really you know. Dr- I think gonna say that I'm drunk. That I'm drunk. <laughs> I did a show recently, and I I did a 12 hour day in production, and then. Dove into my car, drove directly to the to the venue, and on my way the entire ride, I got texts from people that were like, "Sorry, I'm not gonna make it." Until and I played last to a room of three people, and was just like, "I hate this. What's the point? I'm this is costing me money. I didn't have I didn't have dinner. I didn't have lunch. I just I'm doing all these things. It's it's a ton of work, and it sucks to show up here and put all this 
work on the front end, whether it's advertising, whether it's rehearsing, whether it's making these songs better, figuring out how you want to like do that, what you want to talk to, to the crowd about, all of that. Right. And then to get there and go, oh, just me and the bartender, cool. But the bar came in, and it's I got there, and I was like ready to cry because I was like, man, I really thought that this would be one of those ones that you go, ah. Like, this is why I do it. Right. And instead, I was like, oh, man, this is, like, one of the worst times. This is the ones, ones this is where the... I go in the bathroom and cry for 10 Right. Minutes. Like, this hurts the most. The song's got good. The song's got really good. <laughs> but then, you know, I go home, and it's 1 a.m., and my guitar's there. And as soon as I start playing, I imagine being back up on some stage going, right. you know, I'll you get him. I'll get him. So it kind of know? enforces you. It's that confidence for you. I, I can't help it. So it goes it. back to it being safety blanket. Almost, yeah, being it's something that I use to work out my feelings, and even when my feelings are, I hate this and I'll never do it again. Right, I need the guitar to help me do it. So what's uh what's the next steps for you to to kind of go the next parts of your career? Like where are you headed right now? Uh, what I'm looking at right now is we just finished an Indiegogo campaign to make a record. So I've been writing songs for the last several years that are just like things that have been sitting on that didn't quite have a home yet, and I thought maybe it would be part of one project or part of another, and have all just kind of gathered into a nice little basket of songs that are that feel like they're damn near close to being done. And um, I just, I, uh, I watched this election this year, and I had it in my head that I was going to make an EP, put out... 20 minutes of music, like five songs, stuff that I produce myself. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can do this. Nobody really knows that I can do this, but it's something that I do for myself, just whatever. And uh, when Hillary lost the election, I was like, now's the time to go for whatever the thing is. Yeah. It, like, who knows about what's going to happen in any situation? A piano might follow me tomorrow. In the meantime, I would like to be working on the thing that I know I'm here to do, the thing I've been saying like when I was 11, and I was like, I know how I'm going to structure my record. Don't keep, <laughs> All don't right, keep well, holding it off. Now I'm 31, and I haven't done it, but I already, I've already i known for 20 years how I'm going to structure this record, so I might as well start. Just do it. And that's, and that's I think, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time to postpone it. Like, I just, it seems silly. If this is something I actually want, then I better start. Get it done. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely buy it when it comes out. Thank you. I would love to make physical copies of it. I, I think that would that's the next thing because it's having a token mm-hmm. in your life. Like I don't know, I don't have like an ebook reader, and I've read stuff on the computer, and that is cool. I get it. But when you wake up in the morning and you have a stack of your favorite books next to you, and you go, "Hey, friends, we're gonna take all this information here, and we're gonna use it somehow." That's that's called uh, uh, an issue because you're talking to no one. So you don't talk you to your <laughs> I get up in the morning and like thumbs them up. I'm like, thanks for chi- helping have, me get there. I have a child screaming in my ear, so my books wouldn't be able to hear me. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of close it out, uh, for at least this first part, uh, do you have any tips for uh, aspiring musicians and songwriters out there that uh, maybe want to move to L.A. from somewhere else, or they're here and they're just like, maybe I should do it? The most frustrating advice that I've ever received is very, very simple, and it's don't give up. And the second piece of super frustrating advice that I've been given and believe in is enjoy it. Fantastic. My like my mom is like a, a sweet, sunny human being, and it just seems easy. It seems like it comes really easy to her. Like supernaturally, she just it sees what's happening around her and goes, I know how I feel. I'm good. Yeah. I am not that way. 
I have big stormy feelings. And so when she's like, just just enjoy yourself. And I'm like, how could you possibly, you know, play And then you write that crashing. song. Right. There's a boat then, crashing into the wind. And then she likes the song and other people like the songs. And I start to enjoy that people are liking the songs. And she's like, see, told you to enjoy it. That's good advice. I'm like, mom, come on. <laughs> come on. So she's one of those people like, I was right. She just makes it look easy. Yeah. You know, and anybody who makes it look easy when there's so much stuff that, that feels so hard sometimes, you're like, come on. Right. Give me the real advice to handle this. Right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about your Absolutely. career and your dream. Uh, I mean, being a musician in, in not just L.A., but anywhere, I'm sure, is difficult. So the pursuing it, for me, is inspiring because there's so many singer-songwriters out there. Sure. Um, so trying to make yourself different and, and put your vo- voice out there to, to, get, to be noticed. Um, well, mostly I know, play in my huge. room, so it's like... I don't think about those other people. And then when I go out into the world, I'm like, oh, wow, there's like a lot of us doing this. But but your books love you. They do. <laughs> they, they've treated me very well and taught me quite a bit, so I'm happy with them as well. But uh, but thank you so much. Okay, do you mind staying for a little bit and kind of discussing L.A. and, and, and how much you, uh, whether you love it or hate it? And, sure. And talk about that? Great. Sure, I'll tell you my real feelings about L.A. Awesome. So we'll come back to that next time. Uh, thank you again so much. Uh, thank you both. Back to you, Michael and Daniel, in the studio. much fun to, to to do like talking to kim is like talking to your best buddy yeah like she was so engaging and so friendly and just it was just so fascinating to hear her stories well being from northern california i just got this vibe that yeah i could imagine running into her in san francisco i, I went there all the time as uh, as a kid as a teenager and a lot of my good friends are up there and her conversation about San Francisco specifically being this uh, kind of beacon for the arts and that it's really well supported and everything really resonated with me. And also talking about that awkward struggle of being an outsider a little bit, that sometimes you feel like you're that awkward person in the corner of the room and, you know, you just do what you do, but then people will come to know you for that. For her, she just would stay in the corner of the room playing her guitar. Right. And people started knowing her, though, as a musician. Well, yeah, I also have on my notes about being a loner (laughs) and how she found solace in music and how that kind of helped her bring in friends and bring in people around her. And and that realization of, oh, I didn't know other people like could like this like I do or, you know, connecting to people through music was really interesting to hear her talk about. And then another thing that really got me was the idea that that being okay with loving something passionately. And she kind of she talks about how going to those concerts up in San Francisco and seeing people go crazy for like this band that most people probably have never heard of. The Dannys. Yeah, yeah. And and how, you know, people were like, that was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. And she's like, I'm seeing these people rock out and just go crazy. And it's like getting permission to just freely however you feel you need to to enjoy something. Yeah, to 
be unlocked yeah. and to just embrace whatever art or whatever that experience is freely and openly and unapologetically right? as well. Like, cause I know she was there with some type of youth group and the person just went from being so contained. It sounded like to all of a sudden just exploding. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's just, you know, when she was talking about that, it reminds me of going to like concerts at like small clubs in Dallas and just like having the two to three hours to just, Go crazy and like at the end of the night, just being drenched in sweat because you were just having so much fun moving and dancing and jumping up and down and being crowded by everybody just as one enjoying this thing that was on stage. Yeah, and that obviously also happens out here in Los Angeles where any place you go to will have live music. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been so many times where I'll be, you know, it's a bar. Or something, and everyone's just packed in tight all around the musicians. Mm. But it's this great, like everyone's experiencing it all at the same time, mm. and it's just fantastic. Well, I tell you, one of my favorite moments when I watch like a movie or a television show with like my wife or a friend is when there's a re- you both have you and the other person have a reaction at the same time, and then kind of like look at each other, like oh my god, you felt that same way, and like you just have this moment of connection and one at that moment to what you're watching, whatever is entertaining you at that moment. And it's just, it's a crazy great feeling sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And something else about Kim's journey, though, that really resonated with me was the fact that it was her friends that moved down here first. Mm-hmm. And for me, being from Northern California, I knew I always wanted to go to L.A., but I sometimes have an issue of I have the idea, but I need someone to push me to go towards that. And... You know, when I was graduating from college, all of my friends were saying like, hey, we're moving. This is going to happen. When are you joining us? And so knowing that there were there was going to be that same community of people that welcomed me into that artistic hub, that home that I had, knowing that they were going to be down here as well, really did help me say, yes, I can go to Los Angeles. Yeah, absolutely. If, if our the you know, our website designer, Mike Michael uh, uh, Tobias... Uh, shout out Mikey shout out Um, you know his you know my friend Eric Carroll who does our photography Eric Carroll photography um, you know if they hadn't already been out here with like Stephanie Stewart and all them I don't know if I would have been as comfortable coming out here because it was knowing that we already have friends here to be our home away from home family that made it a little easier to move so far away from Dallas and away from the friends and family that we knew there, or I knew. I say we knew being me and Angie, not me and you, Michael. Uh, Wait, I lived in Dallas as well? You did. You don't remember, but you were there. <laughs> so I, we have a Twitter question, I believe, right? Yes, actually, uh, Lynn McGee. What's up, Lynn? Uh, or you can follow her at Lynn and McGee. Uh, so we had tweeted out before recording this that we we're going to be recording an episode, and if they had any questions, let us know. And Lynn tweeted in, "My life truly is a series of awkward encounters. What has been your most awkward encounter?" Oh man, oh, that's <laughs> that's a tough one. And let's because this is Hollywood Hustle podcast, mm-hmm. let's try and confine it to our LA experiences. Yeah. Um, awkward LA moment. Do you have one? I, I can't. I'm, I'm thinking. I can't think of one I'll, right I'll, off the bat. Do you I'll, have one? Yeah, I do. Okay, and ahead. I'll let you yeah. think about it. So I was on. I was out in Santa Monica. I was sitting on the beach with my girlfriend and I think one of my roommates. And we were at this breakfast spot because along the Santa Monica 
uh, beach strip, they have these cafeterias or like little cafes that you can go to. So I was eating there right by the beach. And there was this moment of, I noticed this gentleman, you know, walking towards us. He has his surfboard, like clearly had been surfing all afternoon or something. And he's just walking. And I look up at his face and I recognize it. And then there's that moment in my head where I just say to myself, oh my goodness, that's Josh Brolin. Because I had just actually been watching, uh, it was the Goonies actually that I'd been watching uh, not too long before then. And I just had, oh my gosh, it's Josh Brolin. And then he looked up at me and I realized that I had said that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) The the voice inside my brain Mm -hmm. was not the voice inside my brain. It was my actual voice. You were saying it out loud to everyone I could hear. And it was this great moment of he stopped, he looked at me, and then I looked at my girlfriend and she looked at me and then I looked back at Josh Brolin and, and then he like quickly just like so it really bolted. was Josh Brolin it I was really ex- was I was expecting you to say he looked up and you realized oh it's not Josh Brolin <laughs> like, it's Sean Astin it's no Sean. <laughs> oh we, everybody gets those guys mixed up all the time exactly no it, it actually was him That's and then I, th- I think he he was having his own personal day he was right. he had been surfing he didn't necessarily want to feel like in selfie mode or anything like that right, absolutely. and so and I didn't bother him I under- definitely understood but it was just that moment of like oh, moments when you should really just have that inside your head I'm so I'm so sorry <laughs> I, did I say that out loud Josh Brolin if you're listening which of course he is he is he definitely loves the stories of artists struggling in LA. absolutely but Josh Brolin if you're listening uh that was me. <laughs> that, was, that was really me, guys. And I hope you had a really good time surfing. <laughs> but that's the interesting thing about LA is that you can run into celebrities or mm-hmm. you know these people that you've been watching all your life, and then when you actually encounter one, mm. it's this really awkward moment of, oh, you're a real person. So I think I, going so about your day. I don't. Ha- I don't know if I have one like big story kind of like that, but I have like a few when we were working at Halloween Horror Nights. <laughs> um, a lot of celebrities go through Horror Nights, but they go through, like, VIP entrances that are away from, like, where we were doing our performing outside of the Insidious house. Insidious! Insidious! Shout out! Um, so, we would miss them usually. You know, right, Mike? We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't see them a lot. No, unless unfortunately. Unless they to see us. We were right in front of the general line. Yeah, yeah, we never were. As, as they were about yeah. to go into the house, this, yeah. the VIP would always go through the front of line yeah. entrance. And you could see them. You could see that, but it didn't come by us directly. And I remember we decided, you know what? We're done just being stuck in this, like, like, I mean, we were in, like, a rectangle, like a five-by-five five We were shoved in front of a fence. Yeah, we were very, it was a very claustrophobic. So we were like, you know, we're going to wander around. Like, we started kind of, because they gave us kind of the freedom to do that, as long as we didn't, like, break any rules or, you know, assault anybody, which we never did. Um, we're, we were paranormal investigators, folks. We weren't we doing anything. We assaulted ghosts. Um, so we would go over by that VIP fence sometimes, just to see, especially if we heard someone was coming. And I remember going over there one time, and I, there was a few. I saw a few celebrities come in, and you think I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to be completely normal, and then you see them go. I, I, I look for ghosts. <laughs> like you know, I, um, like I don't. I need water. All of a sudden, I'm very thirsty. All of a sudden, and I remember Chris Hardwick came through one time. Oh, that's and he, right. And he came up and he got stopped like right at the gate. And I just, I think I just happened to either be walking by or being over there. And I, I've listened to The Nerdist and I've, I've watched The Walking Dead and Talking Dead and things like that. 
and I've been to a Nerdist live show and stuff. And, and you, so, you've also been to San Diego Comic Con, so you know about yes, his presence there. Yes, yes, I've been to Comic Con, know about his ma- massive presence there. And so I, I went up to him and I was like, "Hey, I just wanted to let you know, I really, I really do enjoy the Nerdist, and it's a great show, and we saw you guys live in Dallas." And then I was like, and I just kind of stood there, and I was like. It's probably time to leave. <laughs> well, he's probably wondering if you're in character. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I even said, like, I know I'm not supposed to break character. But it was just kind of like, this is probably really awkward for him. And he's with his girlfriend at the time. And it was kind of like, yeah, all right. <laughs> he, he's not there necessarily to sign autographs or right. anything. Well, I didn't ask for an autograph. But it's, I think it's that, that idea of, like, not saying anything, but just standing there way too long. <laughs> yeah. And not saying anything. To build, like, to it got weird. Another quick, so I know Lynn asked, asked, you know, we're just each giving one, but another Halloween Horror Nights one that I clearly remember, we we had just gotten out from uh, being on set as Specs and Tucker, and then we found out that James Wan, the director of Insidious, mm-hmm. was about to go through the maze, and so, uh, you know, our uh, DeMar- I think it was DiMargio or, you know, whoever our supervisor was came, uh, came up to us and said, hey, James Wan is here and we, we want to send you guys out again uh, so that he gets to see you. Yeah. And it was this really like, oh, thank you. Thank you moment. Thank you, Lord. And so we, we went back out and we started doing our routine and our bit. And then I just remember out the corner of my eye, I begin to see James Wan and Lee Wanell. Uh, Lee Wanell being the screenplay writer, but he also plays Specs mm-hmm. in Insidious, and it was this really bizarre moment of like they're watching these other actors mm-hmm. playing these roles in this very highly theatricalized version of these films' characters, especially when they bring them over to watch you, and so they're kind of just standing off to this weird side, and you're like, should I be performing directly for them or still performing for the crowd? Yeah. Or- I don't know what to do with my but, hands. But then they wanted to take pictures with yeah. us. And as scare actors, you're told to always be in character. And so I, I remember, like, I'm standing next to Lee Wanell. I'm taking a photo with him as as Specs. And I'm just like, stay in character. Stay in character. And We got to do it both years, didn't we? Didn't we see them the second time we played? Yeah, I think so. I think we got to see them the second time, too. Yeah, and, you know... <laughs> So I'm trying to stay in character as Specs next to the actor who played Specs. Luckily, the guy that played Tucker wasn't there. <laughs> because it is weird, like, playing someone else's character in front of them. It, it's okay. Like, that's it's hard. That's well, and it, it's also hard because this is for a live event mm-hmm. where it's not nece- it's, it's a much more theatricalized version as these characters. So mm-hmm. it was kind of awkward moments of, like, Oh yeah, you look familiar. Oh, have you? Are you interested in the paranormal <laughs> world, or have you ever thought about doing this? And so having like a little bit of banter right. with them, but they also know that they're there for like a press event, right. and they got to get through. So, <sighs> so I do have one more. Oh, um, okay. So, Lynn, you're getting a ton of you answers right now, so I so hope you enjoy it. This is, I was originally going with this, and I kind of changed it, but I think I'm gonna go with this. So I had to go. We had to go get a new battery, and and I had to take our car. Oh, I was car battery. Say. Yeah, car battery. Um, I had to take our, and I we didn't have a second car at the time, so I had to take the uh the battery we had, get on a bus with it, take it to Auto AutoZone, and it was gonna be like they had to test the battery, which takes about an hour to like fully test it. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll go over to Starbucks or something and just relax for an hour. And so, so I went down and walked to the Starbucks, and the Starbucks was being renovated. 
that was right down the street. So I was like, well, I guess I'll walk back to AutoZone. So I'm walking back to AutoZone. I have headphones on. I'm listening to music. I'm, I think I was probably looking at Twitter or something, you know, what people do when they're not paying attention. And then all of a sudden, luckily it was loud enough to break through my headphones. I hear like a screech. And I look up just in time to see a guy swerve to miss another car. Like, at, and I'm talking like 40 to 50 miles per hour, hit a no walking or no U-turn or some kind of like stop sign, street sign that breaks off of the pole and flies right at my legs. And I literally have to like do like a weird like, like matrix jump, move. Yeah, jump rope, j- jump backwards, and like literally slides under my legs as I jump. In my head, I'm just thinking of you doing like I a, do a triple aerial backflip. Yeah, yeah, triple backflip, and then I land on my feet in a kung fu position. Um, but no, it was really because I just stood there. I was like, I took my headphones out, and I'm like, yeah, that's why you don't look at Twitter and stuff while you're walking because that could take somebody could take your legs off with a street sign. Taking your legs off at street signs or celebrity awkward moments. Mm-hmm. There, there's some good uh, potential for awkward yeah. moments here in LA. And then I said, "There was like, do I stay?" <laughs> I was like, I didn't really see the accident. Like, I didn't witness anything. The only thing I saw heard was the pole getting hit, like him swerving and the pole hitting, and me moving out of the way so my legs don't get decapitated. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> and I literally just stood there for a while, like waiting for someone to like say something to me, and like nobody did. So I kind of just kept kind of walking. I was like. Hey, do you guys need me to stay to talk to the police? I really didn't see you. You almost killed me. And like, no, somebody else is already here that saw the whole thing. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Bye. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag, hashtag blessed. Bye. <laughs> it was really awkward. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for your question, uh, uh, Lynn. Lynn yeah. that, was, that was fantastic. Please send us more questions. More questions. More questions. And also share your awkward stories with us. Yes, absolutely. So, Michael, what's coming up next for Hollywood Hustle? What's the next episode about? Definitely. So, in Act 2 with Kim Tillman, I get to join the conversation, and we get to talk more about just being more of an artist in this town and, uh, you know, live performance. And we also dig more into her current setup Still uh, setting up her new album. Absolutely, we talk about. We also talk about the what it takes to have emotional stability and about emotional health in LA and how LA inspires music and the music about and of LA as well. Uh, one band in particular that never sings about LA or California, <laughs> the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I do believe does get brought up at some point. Definitely. <laughs> but other than that, if you have. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, we have a Twitter that's at LA Hustlecast. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Hollywood Hustle Podcast, and we're also on Instagram at, at Hollywood, Hollywood Hustle, Hustle Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> uh, Mike, yeah, and you know, thing, it's still the month of June, so the Hollywood Fringe Festival is still going on. Uh, you can check out all of their shows, HollywoodFringe.org, and please, I'm expecting to go and see some shows uh, this weekend and over the next week. So, uh, tweet at us, let us know if you're in LA, what shows you're planning on seeing, so maybe we can coordinate. Absolutely, and make sure you email us your embarrassing moments in LA if you have one, or in your hometown. Uh, or if you have an embarrassment moment, embarrassing moment with just a celebrity anywhere, uh, email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. We'll share that on the air with Lynn and the rest of the world, <laughs> just as we shared ours. Exactly. And uh, I think that's it, right? I, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, this was a fun episode. Kim was awesome. I can't wait to for everybody to hear the roundtable discussion. I yeah. think that's going to be great. And more stories get told. But everyone, always remember to keep, keep up, up the hustle. hustle. Bye-bye.
This episode of the Hollywood Hustle podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced with Michael Lutheran. Kel Torados is our sound engineer, and Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information about the show, please visit our website at hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.